0: Welcome you to our studies in the Bible. We're trying to understand God. We're trying to understand his mind. We're trying to understand his word given to us. And it, it seemed as if the message on Sunday stirred some people. I like it. And they started to give me comments and feedback and things like that. It's challenging me. It's going to challenge you. Because then I begin to realize that for a lot of us, we're trying to help God. In ways that we don't need to help Him. We need Him to help us. And so some of the questions I'm going to share a little bit. Because what I feel to do tonight. In order to understand this segment. I'm going to always reference back to that revelation. Remember the revelation. Even I am going to admit to you tonight that I made a mistake. Because of how we are trained to think. Remember I told you that we are trained to think and believe. That when we come to Christ we have made a covenant with Him. We're trained to think that we're trained to believe that I, I, me, I'm in a covenant with God and nothing could be further from the truth. We are not in a covenant with God and you will see and you'll understand why Moses, I didn't understand this before, but you remember in Deuteronomy 28, only 13 verses focus on the blessings and the remaining up to 72 verses focus on what curses. And you start understanding, he's trying to teach you how significant a covenant is. And he's talking to people that he knows cannot keep it. So it's literally a self-fulfilling prophecy that these curses, they're going to come upon you. So think about that. And that's why in all the covenants, there's this idea that if you break the covenant, certain things are released that are not for your good. So if that's the case, I, for one, would not rush to be in a covenant with God. Does that make sense? I wouldn't rush to be in a covenant because here's what I know about myself. I don't know about you. I'm going to break it. So, what God does is He actually shows us. He shows us that there's one who I have provided for you who has fulfilled it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to place you in Him so that even when you mess up, the covenant still remains. That's His wisdom. And i want to just repeat that for you i'm going to show you a few scriptures before we go into this the second generation the guys are going to help me out a little bit in providing these scriptures we talked last week remember these are the covenants that you will find in the word of god there's one that's made with adam it won't be on the screen but the scriptures will come in a moment but this is just a refresher a covenant is made with adam and that is called the adamic or the edenic covenant You can read about that in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. There are certain things that God says to the man, certain expectations God has of the man, and then there's one prohibition. Don't do this. Genesis chapter 2. And logically, if he does that, what will he have done? He would have broken the covenant. And if he breaks the covenant, what comes out? If he keeps it, here's the good part, if he keeps the covenant, then the blessings come out of it he can be fruitful, he can multiply, he can replenish the earth, he can also have dominion, he can subdue the earth. If he breaks the the covenant, then curses come out. So that's why in Genesis chapter 3, after he has eaten from what he's been forbidden, God says to him, the first time you hear the word in the Bible, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. You have broken covenant and you have released curses in the earth, And here's what's going to happen. The ground is going to release now thorns, thistles. It's going to fight you. Watch the curse. You are going to fight the woman. She's going to fight you. You see that? And so in that relationship, the horizontal relationship is going to be at odds. The vertical one, it's already shut off from me. So now you're going to feel there's a distance between you and me. The animals are going to start going at each other. They're going to start killing each other. Watch. Predators are going to come into the earth. And before that, the animals were not predatory because they were not designed to eat each other. And you're also going to eat them. You're going to start killing things. Things are going to start dying. Those are symbols of the curse. The Bible marches a little further. You get to Genesis chapter 6. And God says, I found Noah. He is righteous in all his generation. I'm going to use him because by the time you get to Genesis chapter 6, the curses and the problems in the world had so escalated that every thought of the imagination of people's heart was evil continually. And God does, here's the word, he does a reset or a restart of creation. He finds Noah, takes Noah and his children. The total of them will be how many? Some scholars, how many people will go in that ark? Eight of them will go in the ark because eight is the number of new beginnings. And God will start over with these eight souls. He'll baptize the earth with water, flood it out, cleanse it. He starts over with Noah again. And in Genesis chapter 9, he says, With you, Noah, I will establish my covenant. And here goes the second agreement again. And he reminds him, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, have dominion. That is called the Noahic covenant, covenant number two. And what you're going to see as time goes on, Noah cannot keep all the requirements of the covenant. Intoxicated, he himself, which is interesting, watch. He himself begins to curse his children. Did you notice that? Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be. So do you see how that's interesting? Now fathers begin to curse their children. I don't know what it was. Maybe you can tell me in the q a what Ham did. But whatever Ham did to Noah in the tent, it leads Noah to say, Cursed be Canaan. And you're going to see that curse manifest through the Canaanite tribes that God will ultimately destroy through Israel later on down in the book of Exodus. All right, and on to Numbers, Deuteronomy, and things of that nature. After Noah, Genesis chapter 12, God is searching. So notice what he's doing. It's a very structured, systematic thing. He's looking through the earth for someone that he can establish a covenant with. And he knows this, so it's really for our learning The journey of scripture is God showing us that everyone that I find, doesn't matter how good they appear, they don't have the ability to live up to my standards in covenant. So he finds Abraham. Abraham does not know God in terms of, he's not a Bible reading person. He's not quote unquote uh, a Jew. He's actually, if you could say this, he's a pagan living in Babylon at the time he's a he's from a place called Ur of the Chaldees which is modern-day Iraq his, 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 his father and family they worship the moon god and all these other gods and God speaks to Abraham and tells him to come out from his father notice this kindred house I'm going to take you somewhere and when Abraham does that through a process because Abraham and here's something we, we have to admit it doesn't matter how faithful the bible presents him or how much of a friend he is to God, he is flawed. And he begins from day one to make mistakes. Hands up if that's you. From day one, if you didn't put your hand up, you're lying. If you didn't put your hand up at home, you're lying. From day one, what's the first mistake he makes? He takes with him lot. And did God say, leave all of your kin folks, don't bring them because they represent the past. I'm taking you into the future, and your past and your future cannot coexist at the same time in the same place. Takes Lot with him. It's a beautiful conversation. Not only does he take Lot, he also takes his father, Tira. So you focus closely, and they begin this journey northward, and they're walking up. It's the Fertile Crescent following the Euphrates. They get up to a place called Haran, which is in Syria, and his father dies there. When his father dies, Genesis chapter 12 opens up. And Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, you can read it. It begins by saying this. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham. Do you get that? In other words, I'm telling him for the second time. Because he hasn't really heard me the first time. Because he's flawed And so he continues the march with Lot. They go down into the land. He has the moment with Pharaoh. His wife seems to be beautiful because she's got to be beautiful for a king who has access to women. I want her. And he then says, we're going to make up this story because they might kill me wanting you, babe. So I'm going to tell them that I'm your sister. Is he lying? You want to say not really, right? (laughs) He's telling what's called a half-truth, and a half-truth is a whole lie. (laughs) Am I right? You know why he knows he's lying? Because his motivation is to deceive. So lies are not always what we say. Lies are what starts with the motivation of the heart. And it's beautiful because Pharaoh takes her. Watch God. Watch God, brothers and sisters. Pharaoh takes her and God speaks to Pharaoh. And says, do not touch her. This man is a prophet, even though he's lying. Are you still with me? (laughs) This man is a lying prophet. (laughs) Don't touch his wife. He has issues, right? Pharaoh comes back to Abraham and said, why didn't you tell me? I would not have touched her if you told me. And the unrighteous begins to rebuke the so-called righteous. And he goes back up. You know the story. Lot, they have the issue. God separates them. And then in Genesis 15, God says, now that you're away from your past, Lot is over there doing his Sodomic stuff. Then God says, now I will make my covenant with you Abraham he makes a covenant it's called the Abrahamic covenant he does know this Abraham is not able to keep the covenant when we read the Bible sisters and brothers it should humble us and we should stop feigning all this religious stuff because the best of men have failed God so it should humble us and we should fall to our knees and say, have mercy on me, oh God. Because what I'm learning as I get older, and I'm sick and tired of righteous acting Christians that act like I don't make any mistakes. None that we know of. And we got to stop that because the Bible helps us by showing us them. And they are us. I know that you don't want to say yes, but they are us. And so as Abraham's going on, God's made this incredible covenant. And think about these experiences that these men and women are having with God. God seems to talk to them, Charles. I'm praying for that every day. I hear little intonations in my spirit, little inclinations, but God speaks to them. God comes and sits in a tent with Abraham. God takes Abraham to a mountain and says, let's have a conversation. I'm going to destroy Sodom. What do you think? Have you had that experience with God? So what are you acting like? And God does a countdown with him. Says let's start at 50. So okay God up. 45? 30? 20? Has a conversation with him. That's proximity isn't it? You would think that he he rises up now in the fear of God. Not willing to make a single mistake. A few chapters later, his wife says, I got a great plan. God is delaying. You go into her, have a child with her. And let's see if we can't watch. Watch the religious mind. Let's help God in covenant. Because God doesn't know how to help himself. In other words, let's help God fulfill his word. Because God can't fulfill his word on his own. He needs our help. And out pops Ishmael, the thorn in Abraham and his seed side to this very day. You ask the Israelites today, to this very day, Ishmael has been a problem from day one. And he breaks covenant. And God still works with him and God exalts him. Friend of mine, faithful. But you and I see through lying, because you know that lying breaks the commandments, right? All the things that he does... God says, okay, here's another testimony that I can still work through them even though they're breaking covenant. Because the the journey of scripture is to teach us, one, that none of us can keep covenant. But the story of scripture is that all of those broken covenants, by God's grace, leads us to the one who can keep covenant. So what you see is a thread. It's called the mercy and the grace of God connecting all of scripture. So where we, watch the scripture, where we are faithless, he remains faithful. Because his word cannot. Do you know that God doesn't depend on me to fulfill his word? It's a privilege I have to be a part of fulfilling his word. But if I don't, he'll find someone else. And if they don't, he'll find someone else. And if they don't, he'll raise up the rocks and they'll do the job. It's a privilege. And so he moves on. He still gives Abraham seed, still promises him a land. Out comes Isaac, out comes Jacob. You don't want to talk about Jacob. Because Jacob is born in the Abrahamic covenant, but he's not, he's not a churchgoer. From birth, he's not a churchgoer. And he's 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 a very difficult person to understand. And God prospers him, gives him the the, the 12 boys that become the nation. When God brings them out of Israel, out of Egypt now in, in Exodus under Moses, he enters, watch, press another reset, stop at Mount Sinai, and he makes another covenant with them. So those covenants, Adam, Noah, Abraham, they were with the individuals for the first time, God makes a covenant with an entire nation of people. And he tells them again, here are the warnings. Here's what I expect in covenant. Here's what you shouldn't do in covenant and I don't have to give you the scriptures about Israel because that's why you've got the Babylonian exile. That's why the Assyrians destroy them because they do not from their kings to their watch to their prophets to their priests to their people. No one is able to live up to the standards of the covenant. That's how you end up with the Babylonian exile, God judging them for breaking or helping them to see that. Since you made covenant with me and you break it, here are the ramifications of breaking covenant. What I think should happen, every time you see that, you and I should run away from break, making covenant with God. We should run away, say, "No, no, no,. I, 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 I opt out. <laughs> Because I know at some point, knowing who I am and knowing my deficiencies, I am going to break this covenant. And I cannot complain when the curses come in my life. It's a binding agreement between me and God. The last covenant that God will make, it's not the most pronounced, it's the one with David. He says of David, I've, I have found a man. Are you going to talk to me tonight? That's after my, an adulterer is after your own heart. A murderer is after your own heart, God. And I'm going to make a covenant with him. And you start to understand, how, how, how are you reading? God works with what is available. He works with what's available to show you that he is God. And he can work with what is available. And that's called the Davidic Covenant. None of those covenants are kept. They're all broken. They're all incomplete. But they somehow march us to Jesus Christ. Which is what I was trying to show you on Sunday. With the coming of Jesus Christ. There you have someone now from the start of his life to the end of his life. Who upholds and maintains covenant. Every law he keeps. He breaks no law. He is without sin. And so at the end of his life, as he's instituting what we've called today the Lord's Supper, he says, this is the new covenant. You are killing animals and shedding their blood. I'm going to die and shed my blood, and that's going to ratify the covenant. So what I was trying to teach you is that, watch, God did not make a covenant with us sinners. He made a covenant with the sinless one. He doesn't have time for covenants to keep breaking and keep going over and over and over. We were talking after service. I was even showing them in the back that God is not pleased with you. He is pleased with Jesus. And he said that this is my beloved son in whom I am. If God is pleased with me, it's because I've learned how to sit in Christ. And the pleasure that he has in me, it's because of what Jesus has accomplished. That's why his righteousness becomes mine by imputation. Does that make sense now? So I, I'm not my own righteousness. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So this is how God sees us. And that's why we teach today that we are, watch this, we are members of the body of Christ. That we're literally on the inside, sitting in the body of the one that has kept and continues to keep an unbreakable covenant with God. So remember I told you that even how I'm taught, it comes out. I'm up here speaking, preaching, and I'm trying to convince you that, which I'm not going to try to convince you anymore. Every word that I'm saying here, the Holy Spirit's not directing every single word. Every single moment, they're oh, every moment since I take the mic, I'm like, no, I'm not. Because even in preaching, we make mistakes. Do you know that in preaching, we can quote scripture incorrectly? Is that us or the Holy Ghost? So, what I've even discovered, even in our finitude, God is able to get a word to you that is flawless. So, it's not the vessel, it's who is inside the vessel that matters. So that's why as vessels, we learn to open ourselves up more to the occupant of the house, and we stop worrying about the outside of the house, and we start to focus on what's inside. So I remembered on Sunday, I'm going to show it to you, I'll play it for you. I'd asked the congregation, I said, repeat this after me, and I said, and these words are incorrect, I said, I'm in covenant with Christ, who is in covenant with God. That's not right. What I wanted to say, and somebody wrote it in the chat to correct me, so I could I wanted to say, I am in Christ, who is in covenant with God. If you want to write that down, I am, that's what it means to be a Christian. I am in Christ, who is in covenant with God. That's what it means to be a believer. And I'll flesh it out more on Sunday. I will show you that once the Lord, God places me rather in the body of Christ, every act that I do, It's to further immerse me in Christ. There is no act that I do that saves me. There's no righteous deed that I do that moves God. And he says, wow, I I didn't know, Sylvia, that you could do that. Nothing moves him. Every act. That's why when we go through tonight, I'm going to show you. Everything we do in Jesus' name. Whether in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus. If any man be... He gets a do-over he starts over again so god looks at us now in the body of the one that fulfilled all things because if he looked at me outside of jesus i'm going to fail him and when when i try i'm fasting to be righteous he said you can't fast to be righteous i want you to fast to go deeper in the one who is righteous do you see the difference So that I want you to tap into his righteousness and walk that out in your life. Because all your righteousness, he told you, all my righteousness in his sight is as. So not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But by his mercy, he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Ghost. So we then have to learn how to stop performing to please God. Because you cannot perform any longer to please God, you have to learn how to settle down and how to be in Christ. Is my my media tech here now? Hands up in the air. We good to go for some scriptures. So let me. I'll show them this. Remember, I said this. Every believer is in Christ is in covenant with god give me john 14 these are pertinent scriptures if we don't finish the deuteronomy text tonight it's because i want us to then begin to interpret deuteronomy based on its historical understanding and then what jesus has done so then i'm not going to tell you this which was a mistake i would make i'm not going to tell you that the latter part of deuteronomy is if you don't obey god all these curses are coming on you because that's not biblical do you see that those curses that will come upon them. It's because they are in covenant with God. And they have broken the covenant. Do you see that? Jesus is in covenant with God. Therefore those curses must come on him. Did you get that? So, so can I tell you how it worked? When God made him sin for us. All the curses came on him. So that we would be delivered from all those curses in Him. Do you, do you see what I'm trying to teach you? So that's what so we, we we've got to stop teaching people that you're cursed with a curse. Watch, if you don't tithe, you're cursed with a curse. How can I be cursed with a curse when I'm in the body of the one who has kept covenant? I may block the hand of God from doing some things in my life, but I'm not cursed any longer. He's delivered us. So this, watch this one. This is what Jesus promises. He says, in that day, that's today. What are we going to know? Read it with me, everyone. That I am in my Father, and you are where? And I am in you. So I'm in the body of the one who's in covenant with God. The most important phrase that exists in the Bible, Charles, in Christ. Christ. That's where God wants us to settle down and understand, how do I live if I'm in Christ? Many of us, myself included, I think we're guilty of performing. That's why you will find mainline ministries where women have to do this, dress this, do this, say this. Men have to do this, do that. For what? For what? For what reason? For what reason? Tell me what reason. To prove to God that we're righteous? So by wearing your hat, you're in right standings with God. By not wearing your hat, you're going to hell. And all of a sudden, Jesus is put on the peripheries for hat wearing. You see what I'm saying? Now, no wonder the church lacks power. Because the power of the church is centered in Jesus Christ. Not the makeup, not the jewelry. Have your positions, not the hats, not the style of worship. It's centered in Christ. He is our power. Can I go for He is our wisdom. He's our righteousness. He is everything to the church. And that only makes sense because the church is his body. Watch the fullness of him that fills all in all. You see that? So from pulpits to pews, we have to learn how to place him at the center. And I was talking to a young lady. We're doing a little mentorship session. And I told her that from pastors all the way through, we are not in a season of increasing ourselves. When you join the body of Christ you're in a season of decreasing. And learning how he can increase. Until it is no longer you. It's all him. And I'll tell you this too. As good as you think Oramichal is and he speaks and preaches. And as good as you think this person is a thing. The world does not want to see me. The world wants to see Christ in me. The hope. There's a beautiful scripture in John 12, I think it is, when the the disciples and Jesus go up to a feast and everyone's, it may have been Passover or Pentecost, they all go up to the feast and some Hellenistic Jews, they called them Greeks at the time they came up and they found Philip and they said the most beautiful thing. So Philip, you're a nice guy, but sir, we would see Jesus. And Philip runs to Peter and says, the Greeks Want to see Jesus. In other words, move out of the way. Here he is. That's what people want to see in the body. Second scripture I will give you, watch. Every believer has been spiritually placed in Christ. That scripture is Colossians 1.17. We're building a case and an argument. Every believer, once you accept the Lord, and you've turned from that old life, God now has to place you somewhere. So Christianity is very much about placement. Who am I in? You know, you know who I was in before I came? How many people can shout it out? Who was, who was I in before I came? Say it loud. I wasn't in Satan. No, that's bad. Come on. What are you trying to tell me, Vivian? What, what? I wasn't in Satan. I was in Adam. That's who I was born in the lineage of Adam, fallen humanity. I bore his nature, his image, and his likeness. When I get saved, God pulls me out of the first Adam and places me in the last Adam. Does that make sense now? That's where you get the idea of being in Christ, Colossians 1. Did I do the right right scripture? I think I'm giving you, see, I told you I'm not always led by the Spirit. I wanted the scripture we used on Sunday. I may have just been rushing. Um, the one that said he's translated us from the kingdom of darkness placed us. Someone find that and just shout it out. They'll put it up. 113, my son. It's my fault. Mia culpa, mia culpa. My fault. One. What is it, everyone? One. 13. You see that? He says. God has delivered us from the power of darkness, because when you're in Adam, that's the power that you're under, and he has done this work. It's a spiritual work. He's taken you out of what you used to be in, and he's placed you in the kingdom of his dear son. And then Paul will develop that and say, you are in Christ. So here comes the do-over scripture, which we all know, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 17. That's the do-over scripture. Because of this that God has done. You see, when we teach it properly, people then begin to think from the place where they are. Not where they used to be. Therefore, are you there, son? Second Corinthians 5, 17. Look, therefore, and that word man is just that old King James. If any person. Beware. They are what? Creature is not really good. It really is creation. They're a new creation. Old things are. Behold all things. Become. The idea there is. Newness is a process. Because even though you tell me. And I tell you that I've been translated. I still have some old ways. I still have some old inclinations and appetites. So through the process of cleaving to the one that I'm in now. I start to shed the old. And I start to. Metamorphosize into the new. So if you need a second scripture on this, Romans 12, here's how you do it practically. Be not conformed to this world. That's the old way of thinking, speaking and behaving. But be transformed by the. So then this process of becoming starts where? With the? With the mind. Watch. Let this be where? Which was also in? It only makes sense because if you're in his body, you better think like him. So anyone that's in his body that doesn't think like him creates disruption in his body and that chaos creates dis-ease in his body or discomfort and we begin to grieve the Spirit of God. So the process is gaining the mind of Christ. And so we do that by presenting our bodies daily. This is why we teach the saints that it's important for you, not collectively always, but individually to fast. It's important that you have an individual prayer life, an individual word life, an individual worship life. Because all of that is aiding in the becoming like Jesus. Can I tell you something else? If you don't do these things, you'll be in, can I say, quote unquote, the body. And you will be a problem in the body. You'll be a, a cantankerous member of the body. So someone ran out to me and said, well, how are we going to help the young ones? I said, here's what Jesus said. He said, I've got some people in my mouth. They're neither lukewarm or cold. I'm giving them a moment. But if they don't act like me, talk like me, think like me, I'm going to spew them out of my mouth. And he, what, here's what he's not doing. He's not asking you to be either or. So don't say, I need to be hot for Jesus. That's not what he's saying. He says, if you're lukewarm, I can use you for something specific. If you're cold, I can still use you for something specific. I just need you not to halt between two opinions. Make a decision. Are you in or are you out? That's all he's simply saying. So everyone in this place, because we're in him, we're becoming new creatures over time. This is where we've got to be very honest with God and say, "It's, it's work shedding the old skins. It's work because every now and then, that old guy, he rises up. Ever been around and you start thinking about some music you listen, used to listen to and you start bombing it? and You start going back or you get angry and a word comes out that shouldn't have come out that you thought, I thought I killed that. Because what you start realizing is as long as you're alive, there are two natures inside of you. And they are constantly battling And you have to learn how to mortify one so that the other can live. Paul is the most honest of theologians. We are not. He is. Romans 7, he will tell us this. That in me, that is in my flesh, there's nothing good. And at times I find that there's a war going on. So that these are his words, but I know them to be true myself. That which I want to do, I find myself sometimes not doing. And that which I don't want to do, I find myself doing those things. And he prays and he says, Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's be honest with ourselves, brothers and sisters. One is saved, one is being saved, and one shall be saved. Right now, we're in the middle, we're being saved. God is working some things out of us, and here's the last thing that I would tell you. I think it's beautiful because of where we are and the new restart. Can you give me Colossians three seventeen, please? This is why everything the church does is in Jesus' name. Everything. There is nothing. See, and whatsoever you do in word or deed. So simply put, when we pray, how do we pray? In Jesus' name, right? Whether you're, whether you're going to think that or you're going to say that, some of the best ways, because sometimes you're not always thinking that, is to say that. And we do that. Whether you're doing something, watch. We're doing ministry. We do it in his name. It's as though he were doing it through us. Because the moment you use his name, you're saying, I'm doing it in his person, in his power, in his authority. So then what he would do, I'm doing got it this is how your prayer can be guarded what he would pray i'm praying because i'm praying it in his name on sunday we'll talk about baptism you'll see why it's important that it's done in his name because we are in him and every act is to further watch immerse us in the one that we're in every act is not to say god said wow thank you it's to further push me into him so, Paul, who is beautiful here 's my my last my, my last thought for you. The key: once saved, all that a believer does is to learn how to further immerse themselves in jesus christ that 's what a believer does every day i 'm trying to be more and more like the one whose body i 'm in i 'm immersing myself. no wonder. I'm baptized in water. I'm immersed in him. I'm baptized. But do you know that the Holy Spirit, this is very theological. It's puzzled a lot of people. The Holy Spirit is, in fact, the Spirit of Jesus. Oh, you didn't. Oh, I'm oh, crazy. No, Galatians 4. God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, whereby we can cry abba father i jesus said will not leave you comfortless i will come to you the holy spirit is the spirit of jesus the same spirit that was in him it's in you right now quickening your mortal body so you're baptized by spirit into him by one spirit have we been baptized into one body it's all about jesus all the personalities, I thank God that I'm 55, having gone through 22 years of ministry, ups and downs, successes, failures, gains, wins and losses. Because now I realize that I have no axe to grind and I want you to have no i I've got nothing to prove to anyone. I could care less if they say he's theologically correct, he's this, the, I don't care about that. My focus right now is how can I please the one in whose body I'm in? Don't matter to me what you say about me. That was a good message. What does that, what does that mean? What does that mean? That was a back, What does that really mean? If Jesus doesn't take pleasure in the things that we're doing. And if it doesn't put him at the center of all that we're doing. Are you following how it goes now? So this is the foundation from which we're going to try to teach. These blessings that Moses talks about. These curses. And try to put them in the light of Jesus Christ. One of the things that Jesus does for his disciples is as much time as he has spent with them, they still didn't understand who he was. And so what he does in, after his resurrection, he opens their eyes so that they can understand him in light of all the scriptures. So now they can go and present him and they can begin to see that all that the prophets were talking about, all that was written Moses in Moses and the Psalms, really just talking about the one who could keep the covenant. And he's the one that we worship. Perhaps that's one of the reasons why in the book of Revelation, he is the one that is found worthy to open the book and loose the seals when no one else was found worthy to do any of those things. Someone sent me a note. I'll just answer it now before we go further. You know the saints, right? I just find that we always are trying to tell God, I paid a price for something. I did something. So someone said, powerful message, Pastor, but, but you know the anointing comes at a cost, right? And so I said, okay, I'll try to answer. I'm going to try to answer publicly. Watch this. Anything that's of value in a fallen world comes at a cost. Never conflate the price that you pay for value with the work of salvation. Do you know, this may fool Christians. You know the guy who broke the record last night for most points in the NBA, paid a price to do that? Did you know that? You know the guy that sits at the top of that, he's paid a price. Anything of value, whether that value is chasing Jesus as a disciple or doing well in this, it comes at a cost. Luke 16, no man who's going to build a tower does not sit down first and count to see if he is able to finish that structure of value. So don't conflate, don't think, uh, I'm I'm paying a price to serve the... mm. It doesn't even line up with what you teach me, that he paid it all. If he paid it all, what are you paying? you see what I'm trying to say? It's wired within us to try to do, and that's how you end up with religions, where men try to do things on earth that move them up to God. They try to offer enough sacrifices. In the book of Genesis chapter 11... The Bible says that they were of one language, one speech, and they were walking across the plains of Shinar. They stopped and they said, let us build a tower. Let's build a city. The tower, they weren't just, they weren't, I don't want you to think that these are crazy people trying to build a building up, 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 and God says it's going to fall over. That's not what they were building. They were building, it's called a ziggurat. It's an ancient temple. And at the top of the ziggurat, there was an altar. And the goal of that altar was to offer sacrifices that reached heaven. The goal of that altar at the bottom was to do the same. We always think that we have the ability from earth to reach heaven. God changes that. He says, you cannot reach me. Watch. I will come to you. So the word became and dwelt among us. I want you to think deeply because sometimes we think, we're praying, 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 and our prayers are reaching heaven. Not if Jesus didn't die. Your prayers are actually going through his death, his resurrection, his works. Before they arrive at God. And it's him that God hears. That's why when you say in Jesus' name, you have a confidence that the Father hears us. Not because I prayed, but because of his life. Are you, are you sure you're going to say amen? Amen. And not get offended that God would step over you and say, I'm okay with my son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That being said, let's talk. Thank you, Ryan. Those are wonderful. Let's talk for about 15 minutes out of Deuteronomy. Ryan, if you can take us right to the very start. We'll do some of this tonight, some of it next week. Deuteronomy 28 to 34. That's the last section of the book. And it's beautiful because Moses, in speaking to these people who are in covenant with God, who have made a covenant, who have foolishly said, Watch this, all that the Lord says we will do. So now you can begin to see a level of ignorance on Israel's part. All that the Lord says we will do. And tell me what happens a week after they said that. What did they build? A week after saying to Moses in Exodus, all that the Lord says we will do. Didn't they build a golden calf? (laughs) Forgot that they said, all that the Lord says we will do. So Moses is going to remind them again. You're in covenant with God. Here are the blessings. Here are the curses. Here's what I want you to do. And he's really telling them to think about what you're saying. Can I show you something else? And God is so gracious that if they happen to sin, there's a sacrificial system that still allows him to remain with them. So the moment you talk about sacrifice, sacrifice presupposes that they are going to make mistakes. The priesthood presupposes that they're going to make mistakes and they're going to be in need of some sort of blood to cover And make atonement for their sins. We're going through this. Maybe just a a little bit of it. 27 to 34. Moses becomes a prophet. And he begins to future with Israel. He begins to see the future. Says this is what's going to happen. When you get over there. This is what I see coming. It's beautiful. Because in chapters 27, 28, 29. He reminds them of the covenant. The blessings. They have to do certain things. When they get over there. Chapter 30, Moses, he writes a song. 31, 32, he becomes a songwriter. Beautiful song that he writes. And then in 33, he appoints Joshua in front of their eyes. He says, this is your next leader. And then in 34, he dies. And whether he wrote it or not, he says some things about himself. He said, there arose no greater prophet than Moses. And there was no one as meek as Moses. And he goes up to the mountain, up to a place called Pisgah, up the hill. And he dies. And the Bible says God buried him somewhere in the valley. And Israel knows not to this day where they buried him. And the book ends. Let's go into this just a little bit. Remember, they have made covenant with God. And they cannot keep it. He's going to show them that God's future is their choice. Now, even those of us who are in Christ, who are in covenant, this holds for us. Because though we are in the body of the one who is in covenant, our choices still matter, don't they? So don't think I'm in the body of the one who's, my choices don't. Your choices matter. They determine what God can release for you. In other words, your choices determine what you can access from a fulfilled covenant and what you may not access. So, choices, just like in the beginning when Adam had not sinned, his choice mattered. And today, to this very day, that's why you're going to find in Deuteronomy 30 that powerful scripture Behold, I set before you this day life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life. If you're making notes, write that. My choices matter. They matter. They truly matter. Some choices have greater ramifications than others. Some choices have eternal consequences. Some choices have temporal consequences. But they matter. They truly, truly matter. Hebrews 11 verse 1 is a beautiful scripture. Faith is the substance of things. On this side for us, let's try to make faith-led choices. Choices that line up with what we believe is God's future for us. So make choices that you believe are, these are in line with what I believe God has in store for me. So now faith becomes the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that we've not seen. So I'm going to try to make choices. I believe that God wants to bless me. I believe that God has certain things in store. I'm going to try to make choices that align with those things and steer away from choices that would somehow hinder those things from being a reality. So remember that, Hebrews 11 verse 1. He stands up on the mountain and he begins to talk to them. And he says, when you get into the promised land, I want you to choose two mountains. And he wants to show them that life has vantage points. He says, on one mountain, it's called Mount Ebal, I want this these groups. So six of the tribes, I think it's Judah, Simeon, Levi, Benjamin, Issachar, and another, you're on Mount Ebal. And what you're going to do over there is you're going to pronounce the blessings over the nation. The other six tribes, I want you on Mount Gerizim. And you're going to pronounce the curses. And the reason why he puts them on mountains, he wants to show them that life has vantage points. That our choices determine life's vantage points. That you can see further based on your choices. So your choices actually open up life to you, listen, or your choices can close life to you so that's also very very important the choices you make can open up life can also close life so because you understand what i've taught you're not going to say if i make the wrong choices now because remember they are in covenant if they make the wrong choices curses follow them if they make the right choices blessings follow them do you see that Here's what I don't want you to say. If I make the wrong choices, curses follow me. They can't follow you because you're in covenant. But it may not open life for you. It may hold back certain things that God has ordained for your life. But I need you not to think about, I'm cursed because I made a mistake. Because now you're in the devil's wheelhouse. And he brings guilt and shame into your life. You see that? And behind that comes the strong C word. He brings condemnation into your life. And we know, sisters and brothers, that there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in. So we're going to try to make choices that line up with the the direction that God has for our lives. And I would say this, because we're in a fulfilled covenant, here's what I want to do as a Christian. I want to explore what's inside the covenant. So I want to make choices that unlock the covenant for me. All of those promises, God, that you say are yea and amen. I want to make choices that unlock those things for me. So that's how you understand this. I want to see as much of life as possible. Think it not strange that Jesus would say, watch, I am come that they might have life. Watch from a different vantage point and have it more. Well, that's in covenant. I want to make choices to live and not die come on I want to make choices to flourish to abound in all good things to eat the fatness of the land milk and honey so Deuteronomy 27 verses 12 to 13 Moses says these will stand upon Gerizim to bless Verse 13, he's going to say, and these are the ones will stand on Mount Ebal to curse. And I go to Ephesians chapter number one. And I say that the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, he may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And then here's what I want him to do for us now. That the eyes of our understandings may be enlightened. That we might know certain things. That he's given us certain power in Christ. And that he's called us into the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints. And we may know what is the greatness of that power. What direction is that power flowing? What direction is the power of God flowing? Usward. The the power of God is flowing usward. To those of us that believe God is pouring out his power into our lives. According to the working of his mighty power. Thank you, Holy Spirit. The what That which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. And he continues to say, above all principalities and powers, every name that is named in this world, in the world to come. That's the person that I'm in. Put him to be, uh, put all things under his feet. Gave him to be the head over all things. To the church, which is the final verse, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That's the kind of life that I want to live as a Christian. And I hope that that's what you desire. The brother and I were talking again. I said, a lot of the stuff that we do in the body of Christ, whether here or there, it's nonsense. It's small, it's myopic. It doesn't have that grandeur, that excellence of God. It doesn't stretch out beyond borders. It doesn't talk about the abundance of God. It belittles the work of Jesus Christ. Then we stand in corners and you want me to argue with you about scripture. And when we're finished that argument, what does that do for the world? How does that change your life? You and I will stay here till midnight arguing about scripture. Which you believe I should keep the Sabbath and you still can't pay your light bill. Why, what, does that, what does that mean to the body? The fullness of him that filleth all in all. The exceeding greatness of his power to us who are Joel now. Who believe that we're part of the inheritance of the saints in light? That's what God is teaching his body. Not this meager little thing that and we love to argue over stuff that matters very little In fact, nothing at all. We'll do just a few more, then we'll go. He then also teaches them that the path of life, your pathways in life, they matter. So your choices also are connected to your pathways in life. Watch this. I'm going to make a statement. I can be in the body of the one who is in covenant with God and be going in the wrong direction. Because of my choices. No? We see that all the time. I'm heading in the wrong direction. I'm in the right body, but I'm heading in the wrong direction. No? So I want to make sure, if I'm in the right body, I also want to make sure that I'm heading in the right direction. I take my cue from Proverbs. The path of the just, it's as a shining light. It shines brighter unto a, I'm heading toward perfection. I'm losing the imperfections of my life on a regular basis as I move closer and closer. Can I show you one of the signs of perfection? It's when you learn to speak without creating offense. Did you know that? One of the signs of perfection or that you're getting close is you learn to speak without creating offense. Watch. Because the perfect man is one who offendeth not in speech. These are signs that we're heading in the right direction Deuteronomy and we're going to close here Deuteronomy 28 verse 1 it shall come to pass if you will hearken diligently you know this all these blessings and the Lord (laughs) and the Lord shall set thee on high above all nations no that's if they obey the covenant we're in the one who's kept the covenant where should we be in respect to the nations of all nations. And where do we generally find ourselves? As believers. Beneath the nations. I tell you what I shared with the pastor this afternoon. I said we Christians are interesting on, for this reason. Here's why we're interesting. When we go to a resort. When we go to the mall. When we go to the store. We want excellent service. Am I right? You want a funny kind of service. You want the best food at the buffet. This and that. You want the room tour. You want the best. You go to the grocery, you want the best. And you complain. We don't get... But when we handle the things of God, hey. And so after a while, the world seems to have this standard that God doesn't know anything about. Right. So you will walk away saying, why would they put that guy at the service desk? He doesn't know anything. But they put the same guy up to preach and say the same thing. Why is he up there preaching? He don't know nothing. Say the same thing. So that you start to realize that God has standards that are even higher than the world. So then you put, can I be honest? You put the best singer to sing. Talk to me. I'm telling you what I grew up in. This is why maybe you can hear my voice raising up. Because I heard someone say from a pulpit who was ready to sing. Saints, I can't sing. So here's what I need you to do for me. Don't listen to the voice. Listen to the words. And I'm sitting there thinking, what in God's name are you talking about? Because why would you go to sing when you already admitted you can't sing? then you sit there and you say hallelujah you should say to them come off the altar then i told you i need you to play so we soften up the room a bit so that we realize there's a standard to the work of god go get trained go to bible college go learn to sing Go to hospitality training. Go to tech services. Learn how to operate the camera. There's a standard so that God can say, I've set you above nations. I'm going to stop. I told you to play, soften up the room a little bit. Thank you. Right. Because, Ryan, we're in the body. We read it tonight the fullness of Him that fills. All in all. And the young lady said to me, she said in the meeting this afternoon, she said that if the world, this is her faith. And I said, you know, I believe you. She said, if the world saw Jesus in all his glory, it would be very hard for them to reject him. And I said, you know, I agree with you. If they saw him, not the one that walked, the resurrected Christ who has the glory that he had with his father from the very beginning. If they saw him, if when I preached, people would say, I see the glory of God. Not I heard nonsense. If when they sang, people say, I hear the glory of God. If when they came into the presence of God, in that they said, wow, wow. Then we will be close to Solomon and the encounter with the queen of Sheba. She said, the half has not yet been told because we're in Christ. I want you to put your hands on your heart if you can. I really want you to believe me tonight. I don't want the world to see Oramico. That's why I try to live somewhat of a private life because some of the stuff in my private life, it's not going to benefit people that's my failures and my fault I want the world to see Jesus I want when people come to Rhema when they watch a Bible study they come to a service they encounter members of Rhema they listen to you play son they hear us talk they watch our interactions and God knows we are fallen and flawed but they see Jesus I want it to be Christ in me the hope of glory. I want us to believe that God would set us above nations on high. I want you to believe that they're not going to follow you and chase you. These blessings have already come upon you because of the body that you are in all of these blessings in Deuteronomy blessed in the city blessed in the field. Jesus has already accomplished them in his body. I want them to be released now. Into individual lives in practical ways every promise of God because I am in Jesus Christ that's my prayer tonight that's my prayer tonight that they would see Jesus and no longer I I pray over you tonight I'm crucified with Christ nevertheless I live Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, even online, I live by the faith of the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. I want you to pray for 30 seconds. Ask God to let it be just about Jesus. This is that generation that wants it to only be about Jesus. Our excellence is because of him and for him. Our services are about him. Our works in the earth are intended to glorify him. And when it's about him, everything becomes ministry. Working at the bank becomes ministry. Teaching children special education, it becomes ministry because it's about him playing sports, working in community services, sitting in government because it's about Him. Whatever we do in word or deed, do all. Teaching, preaching becomes about Jesus. Ah, yes. People were crying in the service on Sunday. A lady came and said, help me, help me, help me. When you make it about Jesus, God releases everything. Make it about us, and God withholds things because it's not, I didn't die. I wasn't even willing to go to a cross in my selfish, self-aggrandizing way, but He laid down His life willingly so that the covenant might be fulfilled. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Colvin, I bless your house. I bless your house to be all about Jesus Christ. I bless you, son, in this season of your life to know him and the power of his resurrection. I bless you to teach him and to preach him and to know nothing among the saints save Jesus and Him crucified. I bless this house to be only about Jesus. From pulpit to pew, from division to division, department to department, ministry team to ministry team, let it be about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now take your hands and just raise them. I know you're sitting, but even at a home, lift them to Jesus. Let it always be known that when you lift your hands, you lift them to Jesus. That's why the Bible says, lifting holy hands without wrath or doubting. Men ought always to pray and never faint. We lift our hands to the Lamb. And we bless you, Jesus. Father, I'm praying, Dalton, pray with me tonight. Charles, pray with me tonight. Jesus, be Lord of Rhema. Be Lord of our vision, our mission, our purpose and mandate. Be God in this church. Be God in my life. If you want to sit me down, I gladly sit down. If you want to lift me up i gladly rise up i want you to be lord in these latter days of the house i want it to be just about you god let it be known that this is about jesus i want everything to be stamped with your name every deed done in your name every word spoken in your name every activity performed in and through your name, everything about you, Lord, we take this ministry now up Mount Moriah and we sacrifice it unto you, Jesus. We lay it on the altar to you now. Be glorified. Hallelujah. There's a vein of glory moving now hallelujah if you're a ministry team leader make it about him tonight glory to god if you're sitting in an area of leadership in this ministry make it about him i dare you to move out of the way in fact i command you to move out of the way i move out of the way not my feelings and emotions idiosyncrasies and propensities But it's about you, God. It's about your son, Jesus. It is about you, Jesus. And I thank you. In Jesus' name. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. It's 8-12. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look at someone beside you and ask them, do you know Jesus? Just ask them. If they answer and say no, begin to pray for them and with them. If they say yes, say let's grow together. Say let's go deeper in him online. You can put in the chat, do you know Jesus? If you're serving tonight, I ask you, do you know Jesus? None of this matters if we don't know him promise you my son you're doing a phenomenal job on the chip but if you don't know Jesus it doesn't matter so it's all about him you're doing a phenomenal job on media you got me but if we don't know Jesus pastor you're teaching a great message but if I don't Joel you're playing beautiful music but if we don't know Jesus eternity will be spent with him knowing him And one of the access points is he will say, I know you, or I don't know you. I want him to say, I know you. I've known you from you're in your mother's womb. I know you. Oh, my. Lift your hands one more time and then we'll stop. If you're at home, I want you to say, God, I want you to know me. In Christ, I want you to know me. I have faults. I I want you to know them as well. I I will hide nothing from you, God. I will cover up nothing. I want you to know me inside and out. My flaws and failures. I want you to know everything about me because I want to know you, God. I want to spend my time on earth finding you out. A God that is past finding out Ah, I hear the words of the Apostle Paul oh that I might know him the power of his resurrection Ah, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death and being found in his likeness I shall be satisfied Charles When I awake in his likeness, for we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. For the trump of God shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord, even so. Come, Lord Jesus. I want to know him. I humble myself, no QA tonight. I humble myself. And I say before you, I want to know Jesus. Come on, Joel. Back me up tonight. I want to know Jesus. I want you at home. That to be your testimony. Your profession. I want the world to say, I want to know Jesus. I want pastors in pulpits to fall on their knees before their congregation. And say, I want to know Jesus. I want the saints to fall at altars. In their homes and in the sanctuaries, and say, We want to know Jesus. We don't want to know anything no church politics, no bureaucracy. We only want to know Jesus and Him crucified. We lift our hands to know Him. We pray to know Him. We fast to go deeper in Him. We worship to be drawn closer to Him. Oh, that we might know the Lamb. Oh, that we might know the Son of God. Help this house and every kingdom house that calls upon your name, God. Draw us closer to your bleeding side. Draw me near. Draw me nearer, God. Draw me nearer. I am Thine, O oh Lord. I've heard Thy voice and it told my heart oh God that I would know the Christ of God Lord Jesus in the remaining years of my life in the remaining years of ministry I want to make it about you God I don't want my name spoken I want the name of Jesus spoken I want to make it about you Lord oh God I want this city to be about you God I want this Province to be about Jesus, for he shall have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. I want this nation to be about you, Lord Jesus. I want indigenous people to know you, God. I want immigrants pouring into this nation to know you. I want homeborn Canadians to know you, God. Oh, Lord Jesus. My God hallelujah we stand on guard for Thee, O oh God in this country we want it to be about Jesus Christ hallelujah hallelujah about Jesus about Jesus about Jesus about Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Please leaders, please, please leaders, hear my heart. If Rhema is to be a divine success, let's make everything about Jesus. I don't care how strong you are, how weak you are. I don't care where you are on the totem pole of Christianity. I don't care if you're a newborn babe yesterday or a seasoned saint for decades. I'm asking you to join me in turning this house completely over to Jesus. I'm asking the guys that serve with us In every area of ministry, our school, our foundation, security in the parking lot. Let's make everything about this place to be about Jesus. And when we do that, there is no limit to what the Father through His Son will do for us. I have homework for you before we go. Go home and read John 14. And based on what I'm saying tonight, you will understand. Jesus says in that day, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give it to you because you've made it all about Him. There is no such thing as unanswered prayers When it's all about Jesus There's no such thing Whatever you ask of the Father In my name That will he give to you In Jesus name I lift my hands to bless the house As Moses blessed Israel I bless you I call this place Mount Gerizim, the blessing of the Lord be upon your life, the blessing of the Lord be in your wombs, ladies, the blessing of God be in your homes, fathers, the blessing of God over your children. When you rise up, when you sit down, when you walk by the way, when you are found in cities and in fields, When you come, when you go in your store baskets, the blessing of God and the Lord make you the head and no longer the tail. Set you above only and never beneath. Your enemies that come against you one way, God has smitten and drives them away Seven ways the blessing of God rest on us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.